Hallelujah. In this earth, the Lord is preparing a people. A people that are called by his name. Praise God. I've been praying that the Lord would give us a theme for 1983. You know, you usually get your theme together before it comes. But uh, I've been praying along these lines. Brother O'Neill, our outreach director, has been doing the same. I've about settled on, on a theme. And, of course, every month we want a different theme that, that coordinates with the one theme. And I've, I've just about settled on the theme, publish his name. Praise, Praise God. God. I have had a deep burden for the publishing of the name of the Lord. Praise God. You see, there, there are certain things that, that definitely define your Christian experience. Now, I know of nothing that defines us more than the name of the Lord. I want to preach tonight on the subject, morality dictates theology. Taking my scripture reading from the first chapter of the book of Romans, verse 18, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. Because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shewed it unto them. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing themselves to be wise... They became fools and changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like to corruptible men, man and to birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things. Wherefore, God also gave them up to uncleanness through the lust of their own hearts to, dis- to dishonor their own bodies between themselves, who changed the truth of God into lie and worship and serve the creature more than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> now I want to continue to read a little bit further. We had you standing here for a few moments. For this cause, verse 26, God gave them up to vile affections. For even their women did change the natural use into that which is against nature. And likewise also the men leaving the natural use of the women, burned in their lust, one toward another, men with men, working that which is unseemingly, and receiving in themselves that recompense of their error which was met. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do the things which are not convenient. Being filled with all unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, uh, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, debate, deceit, malignity, uh, whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, despiteful, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, without uh, understanding, covenant breakers, without uh, Natural affections, implacable, unmerciful, who knowing the judgment of God, that which uh, commits such things are worthy of death, not only do the same, but have pleasure in them that do them. Now that's a good number of scriptures. I want to uh, rush through some of these. I spent a lot of time on it, but to, to uh, point your attention to some of the things that uh, we need uh, to consider tonight. We'll have to move this mic out of the way. we got spikes up here a little bit brighter than what we've had in the past. Somebody mentioned they hurt their their eyes when they're up here, but it cast a shadow across my my Bible here. And uh, I don't know if it's old age or what, but I have a little bit of a problem sometimes focusing my eyes on things when the light's just right. Now, when it's not so good, then I have a real problem. 
And I will be going through some scriptures with you tonight. I actually would like to take this particular message and make a Bible study out of it. The Lord really started dealing with me concerning this. Now, morality. What is morality? Uh, Morality is the principles or standards or habits habits, uh, with respect to right or wrong in conduct. The quality of a person's character. This is considered as morality. What you are inside. It's the way in which you measure character. You say a person's morals are wrong. It simply means he has a character deficiency. Uh, You say this person is morally upright. That simply means he has strong character. I think every person should give a lot of thought to how... uh, they receive teaching uh, to what they listen to, to what they allow to come inside of them. Uh, because this builds character. You must first be something before you do something. I have a phrase in Christian stewardship that I teach, and uh, I spend some time on it. And the phrase states, that you must do what God wants you to do before you become what God wants you to become. I make it very clear that that is in stewardship only. In other words, uh, God wants you to respond in stewardship and before He moves you up to a more prominent position. For the essence of life is that you first become something inwardly before you do it outwardly. That God's got to get down inside of you. That you must morally be right inside. I think there's a whole lot of people that would like to be used of the Lord. And God would like to use a lot of people that cannot be used by Him. For it is a known fact that the church is a clean institution. It was designed of God to be without spot nor wrinkle. This church is going to leave this earth one of these days at the sound of the trumpet. Now, it is a known fact that, according to the Scripture, that that God did not allow the truth, as precious as it is, to fall in the hands of unclean people. He just had a way of taking it away from them. And uh, it is a known fact that there have been a lot of boys and girls that grew up in Pentecostal churches that that, uh, didn't accept the truth. Uh, they, They just didn't give their heart to the Lord. Now, they accepted the truth from the standpoint if you went to them and said, Well, now, how do you uh, understand the message of salvation? They'd say, Well, a man must be born of water and spirit. He's got to be baptized in Jesus' name and filled with the Holy Ghost. We can go through our classrooms downstairs. And uh, when those classrooms were in operation, we see a lot of children there whose parents do not attend this church. And when we ask them what they need to do to be saved, invariably, uh, 90% 90% of them can tell you, you must be born of water, of spirit, to be saved. But now, if they do not give their heart to the Lord, if they do not accept that message as an experience of their own, and they continue to live and develop iniquity in them, after a while they, they uh, choose a partner for life, they can marry someone outside the ranks of the truth. They can go to other churches uh, where the truth is not preached. And uh, they can, after a while, uh, accept the doctrine of that church as if, you know, it's just a way of life. One's as good as the other. Some of them will tell you that. I've also seen even preachers, apostolic preachers, who have fallen into sin. They develop some moral problems. After a while, uh, this uh, uh, immoral act... Uh, uh, was brought out in the open. The church found out about it. Uh, maybe the man would pull his church out of the uh, rank and file of the organization. They become independent. The preacher does not repent of his sin. And uh, after a while, his theology gets mixed up. I have never known of a fornicator who could preach the truth. I've never known of that. Uh, I've known of men who committed fornication who repented, genuinely repented, and gave their heart to the Lord, and stayed in the truth. 
But it, they only stayed in there after they'd fully repented. But uh, you watch any individual who is expelled from the rank and file of the church because of some immoral act, you will find that after a while, the Jesus name message and the one God message becomes uh, obscured to them. And it's not important to them anymore. They don't even believe it. A lot of them don't. Why? Because morality dictates theology. Theology is our belief in God. It's our religious doctrine and matters as they relate to God. Now you've got to have your moral fiber, your character right in order to have your message right. Now I've known a lot of people who'd say, well, they really believe the message, but they're just not willing to sell out. Well, they may do that for a while, but I'll guarantee you that after a while, them dilly-dallying around with their life, after a while, the message is not important to them anymore. And this is the reason why that some people will pray right at the altar, get up, love the Lord, shake hands with everybody, and after a while, when maturity, or when it's time for them to mature in the Lord, they decide, no, I don't want to do this. I just don't believe the church has a right to draw lines on, on my life. I'm not going to do this. They walk away from the church. And, 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 and it's, it's sad to say, but some of them could go to other churches that don't believe in the oneness of God. And uh, they don't believe in Jesus' name, baptism. And uh, they will seek a fellowship uh, with those people simply because they don't want to pay the price for good holiness standards. Somebody asked me, is it really important that we become holy outwardly? Well, friend, yes, it is. You see, you cannot separate character from conduct. What you are inside determines how you dress and, and how you present yourself and, and such. And uh, it, it does make a difference how, how, how you dress. And, and, and sure it does. You know, somebody, somebody told me, he said, well, God looks on the outside. And uh, when the, the miniskirts were introduced into our society, uh, we just had all kinds of problems. The ladies come by to want to, Wanted to uh, give their heart to the Lord, and after a while, four or five services had come. You see, some of the ladies would just automatically just go and get a longer skirt. They said, "I just don't feel right sitting in church with, with my my knees and and six inches above my knees on my legs showing. It's not right. They just there's something about it. God just began to talk to them, and uh, but some of them didn't like that. They they just didn't like it at all. And and I've had some of them say, "Well, uh, you know, God uh, looks on the heart." And that's true. He does. But man looks on the leg, see? You know, uh, <clears throat> we're not all as spiritual as we'd like to be. And this is the reason why that God puts some bounds on how we dress and, and, and what we wear. That's true. God does not want me lusting after your wife, and neither does he want you lusting after my wife. And anybody that would think that it doesn't make any difference how you dress... Uh, you just haven't read the Bible correctly. There's a whole lot in the Bible about that, friend. I mean, there's a whole lot in the Bible about it. I don't know why that uh, a, a woman would even want to wear anything that's questionable. I can't understand why a man would want to wear anything that's questionable. And I'll tell you one thing, that people that are always trotting or prodding into these questionable areas, they, they have problems in theology after a while. You know, and I've had people to call me up and say, well, you know, Pastor Grant, I think I'm going to go over to this church over here because, you know, I can go over here and, and uh, you know, I can just dress the way I want to. That's true. You can. There's no question about it. I've been a lot of people by. I've had people say, well, so long. We'll see you in heaven. Well, I certainly hope so. I, I just say this. I hope it's a whole lot easier to go to heaven what I think it is. Because I don't want to see anybody lost. But, but by the same token, God has commissioned the gospel in the hands of preachers. We've got to preach the word of God. When Paul said, woe is me if I preach not the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. He wasn't just talking about going around telling everybody about Jesus. He's talking about the gospel, the death, the burial, and the resurrection. And friend, if your morality is not right, your theology won't be right. Because God will not allow the gospel to fall in the hands of immoral individuals. He won't do it. He, he just won't do it. Now, <clears throat> let's consider 
uh, Israel. Just for a moment, before we consider Israel, I'd like for you to turn with me to the book of Revelation, the second chapter. We will consider Israel in this particular particular passage. Revelation 2, we're talking about the church of Thyatira, starting with verse 18. And unto the angel of the church of Thyatira write, These things saith the God, Son of God, who hath uh, his eyes like unto a flame of fire, and his feet like fine brass. I know thy works, thy charity, thy service, thy faith, and thy patience, and thy works, and the last to be more than the first. Notwithstanding, I have a few things against thee, because thou sufferest that woman Jezebel, which calls herself a prophetess, to teach and to, to seduce my servants, and to commit fornication, to eat things sacrificed unto idols. I gave her space to repent. Of her fornication, she repented not. Behold, I will cast her into a bed with them that commit adultery with her into great tribulation, except they repent of their deeds. And I will kill her children with death. Notice what God is saying. I'm not even going to allow her to have any kids. When she has kids, uh, I'm not going to allow such a doctrine as this to be to be scattered. Now, notice the church in Thyatira. The church at Thyatira was a church that was to go into great tribulation. Now, I personally think this is the church of Revelation 17. And in Revelation 17, if you read about the harlot church in Revelation 17, uh, she was full of abominations and filthiness and wickedness and such. Now, Thyatira was the church in which God says, Now, all of your children, he said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kill them. I'm not going to allow uh, them to... to uh, uh, take my message and, and take it out and, and uh, preach it. I'm not going to allow them to do that. Now, you notice what it says about Jezebel. Well, I think it would be wise for us then to turn back to 1 Kings, the 18th chapter. And uh, <clears throat> we're going to talk uh, about Jezebel here just for a few moments. 1 Kings 18. Verse 17, And it came to pass when Ahab saw Elijah, that Ahab said unto him, Art thou he that troubleth Israel? In other words, what happens is that here walks up Elijah. And Ahab takes his finger and puts on Elijah's chest and says, You're the prophets causing all the problems in, in Israel. And he answered, I have not troubled Israel, but thou and thy father's house. In that ye have forsaken the commandments of the Lord, and thou hast followed Balaam. Now, right after this is when uh, Elijah goes to Mount Carmel, and here he literally uh, opposes 450 prophets of Baal. Now, I have heard so many, many times the statement made that that the Jews have always adhered to the one doctrine of the Lord. That they have always believed that, that God is one because of Deuteronomy 6.4. Well, it is a known fact that they are monotheistic. But it's also a known fact that many times they were polytheistic. They believed in more than one God. They did not believe in the God Jehovah. If you read the Old Testament... When God sent certain prophets by, Hezekiah was a was a, a king. Well, let's get into the kings. Hezekiah was a king that uh, brought about a great revival to Israel. Do you know what Hezekiah had to do? He had to go out and he had to cut down all the groves. Now, I know that he didn't do it the way we would do it, but uh, we'll just use our, uh, our uh, modern day thinking. You know, he started his old chainsaw and he went out and, and uh, cut all these trees down and such and and he took all of the, the, the idols and such and had them all smashed and took them over to Midwest Steel and said, let's smelt them down. We'll make something else out of them. Now, it didn't really happen that way, but nevertheless, uh, uh, that is modern vernacular to explain exactly what he was doing. Now, why did he do this? Because Israel's theology was wrong. But before Israel's theology was wrong, her morality was wrong. She became morally corrupt. And the reason why that Elijah had to meet 450 prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel was because that, that the, the king that they had Ahab had a wicked wife 
And the morals of their country just went right down the drain. Now, this is the reason why that you can see that, that something that was pounded into the brains and into the heart of every Israeli child could be suddenly taken away from them when their uh, morale, uh, their moral condition uh, was wrong. I think it's very, very important that, that a man's life be structured and that there are certain disciplines that take place in the life. Now, now I don't know how much emphasis you place on this, but I would make an appeal that you place a little more emphasis on it than what you, you normally place on You know, I've seen people just sit in church. Now, we have a little little cardinal rule around here, and we call it cardinal rule because that's the high rule, that uh, you don't uh, eat things in church. And I've seen people take and right while I was preaching, pull out and put in their mouth and fold this up. Now, what do you think they're going to do with this? Well, Brother O'Neill claims a church, you ask him. They, they stick it down in the pew someplace. <clears throat> or they uh, hold it in their hand until they get outside and they put it in the little flower box out there. We got a, we got right around the corner there. So that's not a trash can. Now, I, I personally, you know, I, I think there should be discipline in life. Now, we're going to connect this to spiritual discipline, okay? Uh, this is a way of killing uh, two birds with one stone. <clears throat> now, can you feature that? Really? And and, and every now and then, uh, I come over here and I'm praying. And, and one day, I was just rolling around in the floor praying. And I got up underneath the pews and I looked up and there's gun stuck up underneath there. And, and I couldn't believe it. And all of a sudden, I, I got real carnal. I mean, I really got carnal. I said, I'd like to find out who did that. I'd really like to just make them come underneath here and gnaw this right off the pew. Can you feature any human being chewing gum and depositing his gum underneath the furniture of the church? That doesn't even sound sanitary, does it? Now, you know, if you stick it underneath the pew or underneath the seat at home so you can go back and get it the next day and chew it, that's all right. Now, I suppose that's what you're doing because, you know, uh, uh, I mean, why would you want to keep it? I mean, you could throw it away in the you know, trash cans or far for uh, things that you want to throw away. But but people put their gum up underneath. I can't feature. Can you feature grown people doing that? I can't feature parents allowing their children to do that. You know, I really can't. But they but they do that. And you see, there's certain there, there are people that are certain people that don't have any discipline. I was behind a car the other day, and they just rolled down the window and just threw out a, a big uh, bag of garbage from Hardy's. You know. Here the cups were rolling all over the place. I saw them roll down the window. They just tossed it out. I thought, now I can't believe this. Well, you know the reason why we have to have laws like that? The Bible says the law is for the lost because if you don't have them, somebody's just going to throw them out. And I just cannot feature people doing this. Well, a lot of people say, well, that's just a small thing. Well, it may be a small thing. But you see, there are certain small things that do matter. They really are. There, there are certain small things that matter. Now, in your spiritual life, you need discipline. Did you know, I personally believe that, that there's, there's more to it than just... When, when, you leave, when you leave this little gum wrapper or, or whatever it is on a pew, there, there's more to it than just the little gum wrapper. It, it's a sign of a non-disciplined life. That's what it's a sign of. And, and to have to... And you know, every now and then, some people put gum in their mouth and chew it. I've even noticed adults chewing you know. Have you ever noticed old cows chewing their cud? You ever notice that? I used to watch them. I thought it was fascinating. My, my grandfather said, now you watch this cow. Boy, she just really puts it down. She does. She just stuffs it down. After a while, she gets underneath an old shade tree and, and lays back. She's real lazy. And, and she burps up these round cuds and she chews on them for a while. Some people, that's the way some of you look in church. I mean, this is not good chewing time. See? <clears throat> now, she always does this in her siesta time. When you come to church, it's not siesta time. It's not time to sleep and lay around. 
See, see, there's more involved in just chewing gum in church. It, it's it's a sign of a of a of a non-disciplined life. Now I hope and pray that I'm talking to a lot of parents and step on a lot of toes tonight because really this is a very very important thing to deposit stuff where it shouldn't be. You know, and to stick gum up underneath furniture and everything. You see, that, that may sound like a minor thing, but there's more involved. And the truth of the matter is, do you know the reason why you put it on the pew? Well, it's because you're too lazy to take it elsewhere. You know, that's, that's the reason why. And now, let's, let's look at this in a spiritual sense. Do you know the reason why? that, that you, you see, Israel didn't just go off into sin all of a sudden. It's, it's, it's that when little issues arose, and little things came up in their life. They didn't take care of those little things on a daily basis. And they developed spiritual laziness. They were not quite as alert to some of the principles of God that they needed to be alert to. And, and after a while they said, well, what difference does this little thing make? I mean, what, what, what you know, I, I preached a message one time and somebody said, you know, pastor, you're majoring on minors. Well, I disagreed with them. After a while, I got to thinking about it. Maybe I do. But I'll tell you what. If you major your own minors, you'll have your majors right. But if you don't major your own minors occasionally, your majors won't be right either. There has to be a foundation for all the things that you believe and all the things that you stand for. And every man, without exception, that came to the throne of Israel and came to the throne of Judah, if they were interested in bringing revival, they had to go in and completely clean house. Asa was a man who came to uh, the forefront in Judah. And Asa had to go out and, listen, he had to literally uh, get as many men as he possibly could and all the volunteer help and go out on every hill and cut down all the groves and everything. Now, would you think that this nation of Israel who had been pumped and primed and, and taught and, and uh, every place, you, you walk into their home and, and all over their home the, the oracles of God were written. But tell me, friend, why then did they turn away from Jehovah? Tell me, friend, why did they turn away from the one God that delivered them from Egypt? Tell me why they forsook the one that allowed them to cross across the Red Sea. Tell me why they forgot about the stones down by the river of Jordan. Because over a period of time, they allowed little things to come in their life. And they didn't do anything about it. In other words, their moral fiber began to decay. And they developed an immoral situation. And when they became immoral, friend, their theology became wrong. And they thought it wasn't even important to serve and to trust the one God. And so, as a result, what did they do? They made, uh, uh, they made images likened to four-footed beasts and such and put them up in the groves. And they were worshiping Baal and, and trusting in Baal. Now, when those kings came in and saw what was happening, you know the first thing they did? They called for a fast in the land. They got the people fasting and praying. And isn't it something that once they fasted and prayed and they got their moral life right, they went back to monotheistic worship. But morality dictates theology. The groves, the idols, Baal and such. Asa revival, Hezekiah, Josiah revival... All of those men, when they came in, they had to cut down the groves. They were trusting in Baal and other gods, false gods. And this happened only after their immoral life had decayed. Jezebel was an immoral person. There's no question about it. And there's little wonder that why she turned away from God. And she had 450 prophets of Baal. Now, she was a religious woman. Was she not? She was a religious woman. There's no question about it. But yet she got into false doctrine. You see, there is a quest in every man's heart. I don't care who he is to be religious. Now, Ann Gaylor 
uh, tells us that uh, uh, we need uh, freedom from religion. And so she founded the Freedom from Religion Society. Now, I'll tell you what. If everybody in America forsook the Bible, of which she's saying we should do, we should turn away from this theme of, of 1983 is a year of the Bible. But I'll guarantee you that if everybody in America forsook the Bible, you wouldn't get them to forsake religion. Because there never has been a time in the world in which the, the world has been non-religious. And there never will be a time in which the world will be non-religious. Because there is a quest in every one of us for help outside of ourselves. We are not independent, friend. We're dependent upon a supreme being and a supreme power. We need outside help. When the Bible says no man liveth unto himself and no man dieth unto himself. Listen, Jesus Christ knew exactly what he was talking about. You're not an island, friend, sitting out in the midst of an ocean of people disconnected from everybody else. You are tied, intricately tied to the people next to you. And we're all together. And if you think that you can just be so independent you don't need people and you don't need God... You're badly mistaken. We visited the castles over in Europe and as wicked as some of the kings were and as notorious as they were for, for uh, uh, evil. I was really amazed that, that uh, especially when we visited the castle of, of uh, Mad King Ludwig, uh, around his throne, uh, we never saw his throne because he never built his throne, but he was building the throne room there. And on the ceiling, he had the 12 apostles and he had the Lord Jesus Christ. I saw that real strange. I, I didn't know he was a Christian. Well, we went into his meditation room. But in his meditation room, he had a crucifix. Spent a lot of time, a lot of time thinking about, about the Lord. You cannot have a society that's totally uh, non-religious. Freedom from religion? Well, you've got to be crazy. The world's never been free from religion. They never will be free from religion. But now, when they turn away from God, it's usually after they begin to consider their own needs separate and apart from the Word of God. You know, like, there's something I want, I'll get it. There's something I want, I'll get it. There's something I want, I'll get it. Now, if you'd ever developed laziness within you you're going to lose the truth you know a man who's too lazy to get up and pray a man who's too lazy to come to church and, and I uh, spoke to you not long ago about, about uh, how your, your natural life affects your spiritual life and how that they're together you can't uh, you know you know, the gum wrapper, for example. I mean, too lazy to take care of that. It's just minor, you know, small. But I'll assure you that you've got other problems too. See? I mean, usually when you're lazy in your spiritual life, you're just lazy. Usually when you're lazy in your physical life, you're just lazy. See? And so I have never seen a person who was too lazy to pray and too lazy to seek God and too lazy to, to fast and too lazy to come to church and, and, and so forth, that uh, uh, after a while, listen, they, they developed some problems inside. And I've had men to come in and sit down and say, i got a real problem, Brother Grant. What's your problem? Well, uh, and they began to tell me. And I thought, you? I had great confidence in you. I never dreamed that you thought that way. I never dreamed you would act that way and do that. I don't know how it happened, Brother Grant. I just don't. Okay. <clears throat> Their uh, morality is in trouble. Now, after a while, they keep on doing what they're doing. Now, I'm having, I've had them to come in, the same man, same man. My mind is on one individual right now. They come in and say, well, I don't really know that. <laughs> I mean, you know, you folks... <laughs> You come here and you're like a herd of wild horses. Just jumping up and down and bucking and snorting and 
running yowls. And, no, I'm telling you exactly what I was told. And uh, hmm, I can't feature anything, anybody that would ever consider something as beautiful as worship in that light. Is that something? And uh, after a while, the uh, the individual talked to me and said, well, I don't really know that all this business is about. We make such an issue here at Calvary Gospel Church about the name. Now, let me tell you something. That gentleman's not coming to this church now. If you were to ask him what you have to do to be saved, he'd say, well, I'm not really for sure. I just, I'm not, I'm not for sure. I used to think that, that you had to be baptized in Jesus' name. But you know, <clears throat> since then I haven't really, I just don't share those convictions anymore. I just don't have those convictions anymore. Well, little wonder that something like that happened. Now when we speak of your morality, we're not talking about that, that uh, see, some people think that if you're immoral, they say you got a uh, a problem in the area of sex and such. And that's not what we're talking about. It could be that we we associate it that way. But uh, morality is just a way of measuring uh, right and wrong. Truth of the matter is that when you when you turn away from that which is right uh, in the sight of God, you become immoral. problems taking place inside. I'm here to tell you that that the church is, is a clean institution. It's a holy institution. Why God laid this upon my heart, I'm not really for sure. But He really did. He talked to me for weeks about this message tonight. And as I said, I really wanted to put it on, on transparencies and such and, and uh, teach it. Let me say something to our young people who are here. You know, Paul tells Timothy, he said, flee youthful lusts. Uh, Young people have a way of just living in a dream world. See, you live in a world of hope. Uh, All of our young people who are here are no doubt looking forward to that day in which they leave home. It's a big thing. Get my own house. You know. Get out of mom and dad's nest. You know, just don't, uh, <clears throat> just want to make it. And I understand why the quest is there. And then they dream even further. And after a while, see, they're, they're dreaming about things they ought not be thinking about. And this is the reason why that Paul tells Timothy, Timothy, flee youthful lusts. Why? Because if for some reason, Your moral life is not right. Your theology will be affected. It just works that way. There's no question about it. It just works that way. My mind goes to an individual not far from here who perhaps maybe some of you uh, would know if I called his name. Pastoring a church, a church of the truth. Begin to hear a little questions, begin to hear little things about the church and about about the doctrine of the church. And uh, when it all was unfolded, it turned out that this minister had a real problem with his moral character. And then it all fit together. Well, now I know why this minister was having such a problem with the doctrine. Because God will not allow his truth to fall in the hands of unclean hearts and minds. The gospel that saves is too sacred to be dishonored by sinful vessels. God wants our lives to be pure and He wants our lives to be holy. Oh, listen, it would be great if we could give people the baptism of the Holy Ghost without them repenting. From a natural standpoint, it would be great. We can't do that. We just can't do that. But you see, God's going to make sure before he puts the truth of God, of himself, in any man's heart, that first 
there is that cleaning up of that vessel. That the moral fiber of the man has to be right. It has to be right. It is the only solution. Acts the 17th chapter I want to turn your attention to now at this time. Acts 17, verse 22. Then Paul stood in the midst of Mars Hill and said, You men of Athens, I perceive that in all things you're too superstitious. For as I passed by and beheld your devotions, I found an altar with this inscription to the unknown God, whom therefore ye ignorantly worship, him declare I unto you, and the apostle Paul preached unto them the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, in other words, here's a society that didn't know God. Now, they were, they were conscientious of the fact that they needed God. But, but they had all kinds of idol worship. The, the Greeks were known for this. So here's Mars Hill. It's a big place. It's a, a massive place where uh, all of the Grecians came to worship. And so they had a God here and a God there and a God here and a God there. I don't know if you've ever seen a picture of that or not, but I've seen a picture of it. And, and it's really amazing as to how it was actually set up. And, and so they would walk down and they would say prayers to, to all these gods. You know, it, it's very similar to some of the practices of the Catholic Church. Now, if you're here and you're a Catholic, uh, I'm not saying offense to this. You could probably tell us more about it than what I'd be able to tell you. But uh, I, I do remember uh, uh, going up to the Holy Hills or whatever it is, uh, not far from here, out near uh, Milwaukee. How many of you have been up there? You know, they got this little walkthrough, and, and you know, they got all kinds of little stations. You go in, and, and here's a, a patron saint, and, and, you know, you pray it to him a little while, and you go over to another patron saint and you pray to him a little while and after a while you find uh, Mary the mother of the Godhead and you talk to Mary a while and and uh, <clears throat> now <clears throat> the reason why that I personally believe that the Catholic Church's theology is so wrong is because she stems from Thyatira read Revelation 17 And as much as we would like to say that the charismatic movement is reviving the Catholic Church, friend, it's not. I don't care what you say, it's not. And there's one thing about the charismatic movement that they have never been able to do, and that's come into a knowledge of Jesus' name, baptism, and the oneness of the Godhead. And until there is some real genuine dedication relative to cleaning up of the moral life, they'll never come into it. Now I want you to notice one thing. Well, let me first say this before we look into the the Scripture. Pastor Grant is not here. In any way just to throw stones and use the Bible as a club over people's head. But let me tell you something. If there ever has been a generation of people that need to look at the Bible for the solution to their problems, friend, it's this generation that we live in. And if you run against any situation, you need to go back into the Bible. You need to read the Holy Book. You need to find out what God says about it. Now, here Paul is, and he's preaching. He said, now this God uh, that you ignorantly worship, you know, he went down through all their stations, observing everything, and on the end, he saw this in Scripture, says, of the unknown God. You know, they wanted to be so sure that they didn't leave one out, that they just put one down there. In other words, uh, uh, there's probably one we don't know about. So, And Paul says, now I want to talk to you about the one you don't know about. But I want to show you something that the Apostle Paul did while he talked to them uh, about this. <clears throat> now I found it on the desk here and turned my Bible. 
All right. Acts 17. Now, verse 27. It says that they should seek the Lord, if happily they might feel after Him and find Him, though He be not far from any one of us. For in Him we live and move and have our being, as certain also as our own poets have said, for we are His offspring. For as much then are we are, as we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think of the Godhead as like unto gold or silver or stone, graven by the art of man's device. And the times of this ignorance God winked at, but now commendeth all men everywhere to repent. Why should they repent? Because he have appointed a day in the which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he hath ordained. Wherefore he hath given assurance unto all men in that he hath raised him from the dead. In other words, the apostle Paul began to preach repentance to those people. That's what he did. When he saw that their theology was wrong, he said the first thing we've got to do before you can receive a revelation of who he is, you've got to clean up your heart and get it right. And he went back to those people and he said, look, there was a day in which God winked at your ignorance, but he's commanding all men everywhere now to repent. Why do you need to repent? Because there's a time in which this Jesus that God raised up will stand before all men as a judge before all nations. Praise God. And he said, now here's what you need to do in order to have a revelation of him. You need to clean up your heart. You need to repent. You need to get right inside. This is the reason why Paul in 2 Corinthians the 7th chapter verse 10 and 11 commands not only to people who are outside the church, but friend, he was talking to people. God in repentance. Praise God. Praise God. Why? Because repentance is the place in which we align our values and our morality becomes right in the sight of God. Praise God. Oh, let me tell you something, friend. Your theology is always going to be right if you'll find that place in which you can kneel and call upon the name of the Lord and pour your heart out to Him and seek His face. God, I'm not what I want to be. This has been a disappointing day in certain aspects to me. It's been a great day, Lord, because I've been ever able to call upon Your name. But God, I had some feelings against a brother or sister or something frustrated me in a way in which it ought not to frustrate me. There are things that have gotten on my nerves that shouldn't have been there. God, I'm human. I'm robed in this robe of flesh. As Paul said, Oh, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from this body of death? This body is a body of death. It's a body of chaos. It's a body of corruption. The things that I do are the things that I don't want to do. And the things that I want to do are the things I don't do. And God, I've had some bad feelings inside. I want you to get a hold of me. I want you to get a hold of me, God. I want to empty myself out to you. Listen, brothers and sisters, if your morality is not right, your theology will be affected. Praise God, praise God, praise God, praise God. Oh, listen to me. When I was a young lad, and Sister Rutherford can tell you this, I made many, many tracks down to Jornerville, Texas, to an Assembly of God church where we worship the Lord in spirit and in truth. But friend, the Assembly of God people did not stress certain boundaries of holiness and such. They have lost all grips on holiness standards. And friend, when they begin to lose their grips on holiness standards, they no longer preach the necessity of the baptism of the Holy Ghost. And their theology is crooked and confused today. Praise God, praise God, praise God. And it's not going to be right until they get back to old-fashioned holiness and repenting before God. Praise God. Praise God, praise God, praise God. Your theology is affected by your morality. Praise God. What you tolerate and what you don't tolerate. What you condone and what you don't condone. What you consider is right and what you don't consider is right. Friend, your theology is affected by that. I say none of this just to be hateful 
I say none of this just to be hard and nasty, but I say it from a burdened heart. When Pastor Zimmerman was the head of the Assembly of God Church, he visited one of our national conventions. And he sat down with Brother Chambers, who was then our superintendent. And he said, I'd give anything if somehow we could turn our church around. But he said, we lost it all years ago. And he said, when you preach this to our people, he said, they'll walk out on you. They don't want to hear it. Well, Pastor Zimmerman, are you going to preach it anyway? No, he didn't. He was ousted as the head of the Assembly of God Church after they found he was guilty of fraud. He embezzled funds. I say it. I'm not here to cast a lot of stones, but listen, we need to wake up, folks. We got visitors here that are listening to me. You may not hear me again, but I'm going to pray that what I preach tonight is going to haunt you every night. Until you get down on your knees and repent. Jesus Christ is coming back. I value your soul more than your fellowship. I value your soul more than your friendship. I may make you mad, but if somehow you can get a hold of God. Listen, when that trumpet blows and you leave this ground, friend. You'll thank the Lord a million times that an apostolic preacher was brave enough to stand in a pulpit and tell you what you need to do to be saved. Praise God. (laughs) Hallelujah. So now is the time to cut down the groves. Now is the time to crush all the images. But you see, just cutting down the groves and crushing the images won't do it. When the kings had them to do this, then he said, I tell you what, we've got to get our theology right, otherwise we're going to fall back into the same category. What are we going to do, Asa? We're going to have a fast throughout the land. We're going to have people weeping and crying and praying. You see, you can remove the external. But he said, you've got to get it right inside. Otherwise, the theology is going to be crooked a few years from now. So he called a fast throughout the land. Josiah called the same fast. Hezekiah called one of those where people got right down and wept and cried and sought the Lord. If my people which are called by my name shall humble themselves and repent... And forsake their wicked ways. And call upon my name. Then will they hear from heaven. And I will heal their land. Now the healing of the land, that's what he's talking about. I'm going to go in, put my name, and publish it again. It's going to be like it were in the days of Solomon. The queen of Sheba came just to see for herself. This was the day in which the name of the Lord was published abroad. You know what she did? She heard of all the splendor of the beautiful new temple. She heard of all the glory of the land. And she went there to see for herself. We've taken many trips and I've checked them out, most of them before I go. I read about them. I look at the pictures in the encyclopedia in the World Atlas. They're all so, so nice. You know, somehow the water always looks bluer in the picture than it really does in the lake. Did you know the grass always looks greener than it does out on the pasture? Did you know the trees are always prettier in bloom in the picture than they are for real? I don't know why. And I've taken many trips, and I've always been disappointed. I went out to a country club in Henderson, Texas. Charlie knows where the country club is. Got a picture of it. Oh, it was so beautiful and green. I'm going to mail it back here to you folks saying hi. 
Everything's going fine. We'll be back home soon. I had that picture postcard in my hand when I passed by the country flood. The grass was almost as, as brown as, as this family. Nothing's real green in Texas very long. And I held it up. And I thought, now, <clears throat> the only thing that resembles is the silhouette. The color of it really doesn't tell the story. I sent it on anyway. I wanted to tease everybody behind green. It wasn't Texas. <clears throat> but if I'd never been to Texas and I'd seen that and I'd driven by that country club, I would have been mighty disappointed. Well, Queen of Sheba heard all these glowing reports. She decided, I'll go see for myself. So from the south land she came. And she went throughout the length and the breadth of Israel. She made this statement. The half has never yet been told. It's more beautiful than what they say. You see, that was Israel when Jehovah was number one. That was Israel when her moral fiber was paramount. And did you know that God will put himself up supreme in your life? If you repent on a daily basis and keep your heart right, the world will look at you with envy. I'd like to be like that preacher, O'Neill. There is a mark of excellence about him. When he walks in our place of business, there's a fresh breath of life that comes in. I'd like to be like that Glenn Rossi. He brings Pepsi in this store. He's smiling all the time. There's freshness about this man. I'd like to be like this Nelson man. He comes to my house to do work. He walks in. It's like a breath of fresh air. There's something about it. You see... When our morality is right, our theology is right. But when our morality is wrong, God begins to take the truth from us. Would you stand with me at this time? Hallelujah. Every head bowed and every eye closed. The Spirit of the Lord is doing the talking right now. It's not necessary that I do so. So I'd like for you to remain in silence as God begins to talk to individual hearts.
You know, we show films here in our school. Brother and Sister Rutherford monitor these. I do a lot of preaching about watching evil TV programs and such. Keep your heads bowed, would you? I remember not long ago we checked a film out of the library. It uh, was about the part of Texas where I came from. About Kilgore College and about their band and such. My boys were all excited about watching it. We threaded that thing and started showing it. Right away they started accentuating the Kilgore uh, College Band and the Marching Girls, I forget their name. But uh, they showed those girls exercising and had very little clothing on and such. So I got up and turned the light on. I said, boys, got to turn her off. My boy said, uh, but, Dad, we'd like to see this. Uh, it's all about the land of Texas and such. I said, that's, that's right in, in part, but it's got a lot of things on here that we ought not be looking at. So we turned it off, discussed it for a while. The boys said, uh, but, Dad, we see people dressed like this every day. I said, that may be true. But you see, the whole purpose of us having this in, this in our home is for entertainment. Uh, while we do see people dressed this way, uh, we don't just go out looking for them to entertain us. See, there's a difference. You know, we just kind of bowed our head in that room that night. And if we ran that film backwards and got it off and put it back in the box. Did you know what? I felt freedom come over me and over my family. It was like a breath of God's glory coming down. The Bible says God's laws are not grievous. You see, His laws were never designed to hurt you. They were designed to give you liberty. So that night as we denied ourselves the viewing of that film, there was a liberty that came in our family all to that night like we hadn't felt in a long time. And isn't it true that when you're tempted, you fall into temptation regardless of what it is, that there's something that eats and gnaws at you for days. It affects your prayer life. It affects your communication. You can come in the house of God and you don't feel free worshiping. But isn't it also true that when you're tempted and you you turn, you shun that temptation, that there's a freedom that comes over you. It's like a blast of God's glory upon your soul. You can come in the house of God. You hear the preacher talk about Jesus' name, baptism, the Holy Ghost. Oh, it's such a sacred message. Hallelujah. Our morality dictates our theology. He couldn't shunda lomo kunda. Oh, sweep across us tonight, Lord. Talk to our hearts, oh God. Deal with our souls, oh Lord. This is our first 1983 Sunday night service, Lord. Let us start it out on the right foot. Oh, God. There's one person praying down here at the altar already. I feel that others would like to come.
If you'd like to come, why don't you come on and kneel? Give your heart to the Lord. The truth is too precious to be sold. Praise God, praise God, praise God, praise God, praise God. All over the house, people are kneeling and praying. Why don't you kneel right where you are, would you?